the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me which bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. <coughs> if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for these words that Jesus gave to his disciples, that he taught them about what is so important in life, about how to be his followers, about how to put our trust in him, about what he has done for us. And we pray that you would continue to grow your life in us today and this week. Amen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. What powerful words. What powerful words from Jesus Christ that he has outlined what he is like to them. You did not choose me. I chose you. We've come across that in uh, some of the Passion for Life videos where uh, Rico Tice talks about um, if your friends knew what your life was really like, the things you thought about, what your heart did, the things you said, 
you think they would give you the job that you have? Not at all. But God calls people to him knowing what they're like. We've been exploring that in the family services in the afternoons. Jesus knows exactly what our hearts are like. And yet he comes to declare, I've come to help you fix them. In fact, I want your heart so that I can shape it. Wouldn't that be lovely? It's wonderful. And as Tim was reading, I was just reminded how that lovely phrase, you know, Jesus calls them friends. In the Old Testament, Abraham was regarded as being God's friend. Moses sat with God and God spoke with Moses as a man speaks with his friend. What is at stake here is the deepest, richest, fullest life that we could imagine. That we, it, it transcends anything that the world can offer instead. And so these words, I think I'm, I'm not going to do them justice. But there are so many rich things in here that I'd, I want us to share and take with us as we uh, proceed and journey through John's gospel, finding out what it is to, to know Christ, to, to see who he is. This, um, part of the last te- this is part of the last teaching that Jesus will give his disciples. Um, he, we've had the last supper where the foot washing happened, and we all know what I thought about that. And we, we're moving now about the promising work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus prepares to confront the prince of this world at the cross. It is deeply important time. Verse 30 of chapter 14, I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the father and I do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Jesus concludes that little portion of teaching with his disciples in the upper room and they make their way to the garden to pray, to the garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, they would have passed the temple. And the temple was adorned by a large golden vine. The Jewish historian Josephus records that the the clusters of grapes hanging from this decorative or, or ornamental vine were as tall as a man. There was an incredibly impressive image of a vine. When my father worked in Slovenia, he worked in the town called Maribor. And in Maribor is a hotel. And in that hotel um, is the Europe's oldest living vine. It's enormously long. It stretches at least as long as that wall there. And in the summer, bears fruit still. But above it, the side of the hotel, on the front of the hotel is a balcony. And it's the balcony where Hitler was photographed when he conquered Yugoslavia. And it's a really interesting juxtaposition. It's a really interesting contrast that there's this thing that's lasted. Something so, you know, so, so old and life full of life and, some, and in, in a world that's got so much tragedy and horror uh, within it. And that's, that's what Jesus sometimes does, doesn't he? When he's, when he's talking to his disciples, he, sort of, he sees something and he tries to remind them about what it's, what, what's going on. And the vine on the, 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 the golden vine on the front of the temple was this eye-catching reminder of God's relationship, his loving kindness to his people, Israel. 
And it's described in Isaiah chapter 5, in the first opening verses, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. What a compelling thing for Isaiah to say. Five, six hundred years earlier than Jesus is walking with his disciples, Isaiah saw that, that, that Israel had not lived up to this promise, this opportunity to be this fruitful people of God. They were supposed to, to draw other nations and people from all around the world to the living God, but instead they joined in with their idolatry and fought one another to get to the top of the pile in their own world. Jesus looks at this vine and he's reminding the disciples what is the life of God or with God supposed to be like. And then he makes this incredible statement, doesn't he? I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus declares himself to be the true witness to the world that God had chosen to bring people to him. And though he's Jewish, he alone fills the role Israel had been given. He stands alone. How many of these, as we've journeyed through John, think about the things Jesus has said about the roles he fulfills, the servant, the light, the bread, the source of living water, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life, and now the true vine, in which the life with God is expressed and lives within us. What more could we possibly want or ask for? And so he is using this vine to expand about the life of the disciples and how they are to live. And I particularly want to focus on verse 16. If you're in a home group, the questions, uh, are, the questions are a bit broader, but I just want to focus on these words here because they, they really uh, hung around with me all week while I was thinking about this passage. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Verse 16. Our inclination is not to seek Jesus Christ. It is, he is not the first thought normally in our lives. When we wake up in the morning, we probably thinking breakfast or time to get up for a wee or my feet are cold or whatever. But I mean, beyond that, do we busy ourselves? Is he the first thought that we come to when our minds are quiet? Our inclination probably isn't to think about God or Jesus Christ. We're rebellious, we're proud, and we've got many, many, many more important things to do, apparently. And we prefer, like Adam and Eve, to reject God's ways and choose our own chaos over God's loving kindness. And even sometimes when it looks spiritual, but it's mostly about us. It's only when we respond to his call, led by the Holy Spirit, that we actually become alive in any true sense. Remember in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, John, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. There is a work of God required in us to bring us back to life. The 
Protestants, the reformers called it regenerate. The new life would come into us because our inclination is not to look for God. Jesus comes to call us to God. And the word for that calling in Greek is ecclesia. The ecclesia. It means those whom Jesus has called or gathered. That's his choosing. You are his choosing. He is calling you this morning, right now. He is calling you. If you're not listening to me, at least we've heard his words. Because he calls, his voice still echoes because it's got something meaningful and powerful and eternal to say. And that's what he wants to do. And it's a bit of a mystery to us the work of the Spirit, how does he live, how, how does he work in and amongst people? How, when does he open somebody's hearts? Why do some people remain really um, hardened against him or, or unwilling to sort of discuss? But God does not want us to perish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says he wants no one to perish. But perishing is what's at stake. God calls and moves amongst our lives and amongst us that we might know Christ and come to salvation. It's interesting, isn't it, as well, that Jesus said, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, I chose you. There's the priority of Christ in mission, isn't it? Could we actually talk about Jesus without mentioning church, church activities, worship style, tradition, all of those things that we become used to? Sometimes Jesus gets lost in all of that. There are lots of churches around the world, lots of groups of Christians, because they don't have buildings, and they're very good at it. <laughs> they're very good at talking about Jesus Christ. That's why they're in trouble. That's why they don't have buildings. They have to hide. But that's an interesting thing, and that's why I want to look at passion for life and, and help us to grasp with who Jesus Christ is to us. So he is the originator. He's the one, he's the great disturber. He's the one who moves us, nudges us, provokes us. You see, you can talk in church, you can talk about church in a pub for ages, and it quickly dies out because churches are strange, old, ritualistic, all sorts of different things happen in churches which seem disconnected. But Jesus still has something to say. The things Jesus says still, still echo. They're still provocative. They're still comforting. And those are the things that we want to be focused on, aren't we? Jesus is the center of mission. He called them. He calls you. He is for you and he calls you to him. We have an active mission role to play. He appointed them, we read, that they might go. That you should go and bear fruit. Isn't that important? That as we go about our lives... As we do our things, we should be showing this fruitfulness of God. We think, I've already mentioned, that Israel's tendency was to copy the nations around it rather than demonstrate what difference God makes. What difference does God look like in your life? It's quite challenging, actually, that, isn't it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a really difficult family funeral, really difficult, and I'm not going to talk about it, except to say that afterwards, my, my, my sister texted me to say, you're one of the best people I know, which is lovely, which is really lovely, but what I want her to ask, what we want people to ask, is what's the difference? What makes the difference? 
What makes you like that? That's, that's the essence of it, isn't it? Jesus wants people to go into scenarios and be like him. That his life would, would just like burst. It would be light in you and that we would be able to demonstrate that. And we, we want to, don't we? we sometimes you, I go places and people, oh, you're a vicar, so blah, 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 blah. Why? <laughs> so many people are sort of, Why? What makes you do those things? Why are you a Christian? What's, that's the question we want to have. And that's, that's because when our lives bear fruit, when they're Christ-like, it provokes people. Israel didn't do that, but we still can. Bearing fruit, he says, that go and bear fruit. There are two schools of thought about bearing, bearing fruit, fruit, and I think in my own life, I've probably switched between one and the other. One is that the fruit could be personal growth, that you would be the kind of person who turns up and everybody goes, wow, they're amazing, I want to know more. Or it could be about more people coming to Christ because, because of the message that he's given you and the life that's in you, through, you know, spreading out through them. And if we looked at this chapter, we might be able to say that the emphasis in the early verses, one to three, talks about the pruning work of God. Look at that. I'm the true vine. The father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So there's a very intense and quite intimate uh, picture there of God working on the person, isn't there? There's quite an intimate per, uh, uh, thing there. Um, every summer or early spring, uh, Catherine goes out into the garden, into the vicarage garden, and attacks the blackberry bush at the end. And she knows that if she chops off some of the canes, more fruit will come. And we've learned over the years that there are there are there are canes that have flowers, but they won't bear fruit. I think that's the right way round. Uh, anyway, but you know more than me. Um, and and there are canes that have just died off, but the bush needs attention or it just becomes a mass of, oh my gosh, there's a lot going on there, and nobody's going to risk their hand going near to get whatever blackberries are there. God, in the same way, is willing to prune off the stuff that's died that we no longer need, patterns, behaviours, attitudes that actually don't fit anymore. They're not really part of Christ's life. That's part of your old life that you're bringing into this scenario. And he brings in things that, you know, that could be something, but let's focus attention on this other thing. That's what I've made you good at. That's what I've gifted you in. Let's, let's grow that. His work is to bring out the best in each of us, isn't it? To, that we would be marvels of his creation. That we would be very good. The alternative is, is to think about bearing fruit as new believers. That there would be much fruit and that people would be drawn to, uh, uh, to Christ through these disciples and that the disciples would demonstrate their closeness to Christ because of the numbers of people who turn to him, which is also you know, quite a valid argument. You could spend ages going through this chapter and make concrete arguments either way, which makes me think it's probably a both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. That if our lives are rooted in Christ, then things will happen around us because God is doing stuff in us that draw attention to the living God who's doing stuff with us and it is winsome. There's a lovely old word, winsome, to the people around us. They say, that's, that's, that's actually a life that looks good to me. So I find that a really helpful, it's not a compromise, I think it's putting the two together. Because what God wants is the kind of life that St. Paul describes in Galatians 5, doesn't he? The 
fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I love the way that the fruit there is in the singular. You can't pick one of those. It's all of them. And God is always working on all of those things with us. And so this life that Jesus is describing about abiding in him, that being close with him, having a, having a strong relationship with him, enables fruit to grow in us where otherwise other stuff might come out. Let's be honest. If we try all of those things by ourselves, if we try to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled in our own strength, how long do you think you can last? Will you get out of this building before one of those has been triggered? Okay, I know what I'm like, so, so I'm pretty sure I'm not on my own. And if we try it by, like that, we are just, we're not. We're pretending we are more than we really are, and we're only deceiving ourselves. But if we let God prune at us, painful though it is, we've been changed. We've experienced the living God. We've, we've experienced his tenderness and his loving care and his mercy and his grace for us in Jesus Christ. Because he's seen what we're like and says, tell you what, I'll give you some of his life in exchange for some of yours. That's how he works. He plants us in and roots us in Christ instead. And we realize that the work of the cross is about washing some of that stuff and forgiving some of that stuff and conquering some of that stuff. The thoughts that don't really belong there. The attitudes, the habits, the relationships that need repairing. Well, the cross is the means for those to be changed. All the hate and all the fury and all the things that are unholy in us are dealt with through what Jesus did on the cross for us. And his resurrection brings us the new life that we are looking for. Fruit then. Fruit that God has pruned. Fruit that is rooted in Christ, that it abides in him, that it produces Christ-likeness. Because he's called, that's what he has called us and chosen us for. And the last little phrase, fruit that will last. And I think that's the little bit that stuck out uh, for me. I think the thing that uh, is that we can, do, we can all do the right stuff occasionally, can't we? Maybe even because of habit, maybe because we're English, mostly. And we have a certain set of manners or cultural codes. We all live by cultural codes, don't we? Whatever our background. But grapes are supposed to be pressed, aren't they? Grapes, grapes will get pressed. And under our own efforts, we eventually just crack. We split, and what comes out might not be fruitful, loving, kindness, and all of those things. And you know that I'm a fan of David Paulison and his, his work and his thinking about how if we root our life in that crucifixion, that tree, that vine that was a cross, then we can see change happen. And that when things come to us, when there's the opportunity to be Christ-like, it's rooted not in our own opportunity, I will look good, but we will be able to speak to our Heavenly Father who will guide us, give us a hint, give us the resource, give us the words, give us the time to, to use our lives, to spend our lives 
making a difference to the world around us. That's what glorifies God, not the human nonsense that comes out, but the love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that God is looking for. So being rooted in Christ, abiding in him, producing fruit that will last, fruit that will grow amongst those around us, seems to be the essential thing. It seems to be central to being a Christian. I don't know how we express that. I wonder how that looks in your life. I wonder next time you're feeling pressed, where do you turn? I wonder next time sometimes it rubs you up the wrong way, the sin of human difference, if you like. Well, where are you going to go? Are we going to, res- are we going to respond in a worldly way or are we going to try, like Christ would, to find a place for forgiveness, reconciliation? I don't know what your spiritual battles are, what you wrestle with, what, what fears you have. I know some of your fears. But how are we wrestling with those? How are we shaping those? Well, how does Christ come into that equation? Because if we're in him, that life, when we're faced with disaster, can somehow produce hope. When we're faced with opposition, can sometimes produce forgiveness and kindnesses. That's, that's what's at stake. That's the kind of life that God is calling us into. It's the kind of life that Abraham and Moses were recognized for. It's the kind of life that the Jesus was looking for in his disciples. It's the kind of life um, that lasts, that has an impact and goes somewhere, glorifies God, because it stands for something like that vine in Maribor, stands for something eternal, stands for something greater, stands for something that is going to last. So let's pray. Let's pray about how our lives could be more deeply rooted in him. How Jesus tells them that he teaches them. He's learned this. It's something that we need to learn too. So shall we turn for a moment, just be still. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you my friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Lord Jesus, we live in a chaotic and difficult world at the best of times. We wrestle with uncertainty and changing patterns in our own lives, and in the world around us. We pray that you would teach us to put you first, to trust you, to know that you are good all the time, that you have promised to look after your people, that you have promised salvation in Jesus Christ that you have promised to be our God, write your laws on our hearts, guide us in straight paths. So Father, as a time of quiet now, 
pray that you would speak to us gently. Sing over us, we pray. Encourage us and lift us for your glory. For we didn't choose you, but you chose us and appointed us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Amen.